Space exploration and watches have always had an undeniable connection. It obviously started from a very utilitarian place. I mean, if you're heading into orbit in a big metal tube, you probably want to be able to accurately measure time. But it's grown into much more than that. Space travel represents a particular kind of romanticism and striving that most of us can identify with, and it blends technology, emotion, and human achievement in a way that speak very much the same language as mechanical watchmaking. Today's guest is Stephanie Bednarek, and she's both a space professional and a total watch nerd. Her passion for space started early, and she's worked in the business of space in many different capacities over the course of her career. Her watch collecting got started in a sort of roundabout way, but she has diverse taste in watches that extends far beyond the usual suspects. She also has a lot of thoughts about what the watch industry could do to get more women interested in the hobby, and she's not afraid to let them know. Stephanie frequently shuttles back and forth between Washington, D.C. and New York City for work, and we were able to catch her before she hopped a train back home for the weekend to talk about watches, space, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Stephen Pulverant, and this is Hodinkee Radio. This week's episode is brought to you by Tag Hoyer. Stay tuned later in the episode to learn more about a new Hoyer Octavia. You can also visit taghoyer.com to learn more. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephanie. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about it. And we also have our uh, esteemed editor-in-chief, Jack Forster, here. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back. And uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. We're quite excited to have you on the show. Thank you. So we actually got in touch through you and Jack had a conversation, right? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I had a glass of wine, um, read a few too many Hodinkee <laughs> articles, and uh, uh, wrote you wrote you an email um, that was just interested in seeing some more coverage of, of women's watches, and we got talking back and forth and appreciate the invitation to, to come here. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, so basically what happened was, uh, uh, you know, on our side, uh, you know, we heard from Stephanie out of the blue and uh, making, again, a very fair um, point that we've uh, heard about a lot and thought about a lot. Uh, about the sort of underrepresentation of uh, uh, women watch collectors, women's perspectives. And, you know, the very fact that there is such a thing as a sort of dialogue about women's perspectives on watches and watchmaking as a kind of like, you know, specific area of discourse is uh, it's a little weird. Um, and maybe that's something we can talk a little bit uh, about as well as we get further into the subject. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I guess to start things off, um, so you work in the space industry. Uh, for an undisclosed employer, we can't we can't say who your employer is, but um, you work for a, a space company. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means to work in space? Um, sure. I guess just to, by way of a little bit of an introduction, I'm I'm a lifelong space geek um, through and through. My I think you're in good company. Uh, <laughs> it's on, really on neat. I mean, one, yeah. rockets and satellites are just are just inherently cool. But uh, my dad worked in the space industry. My mom lived in Florida and saw every single Apollo launch oh, wow. growing up as a kid. That's so cool. Um, I and so every it's, single one of them on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a little bit in my blood. Um, but it was it was a no brainer that I would um, go and get a degree in aerospace engineering. I wanted to learn about rockets. I wanted to learn about satellites and all things space. And so that that naturally transitioned into a career in the space industry. And I, I think it's it's a blast. I work with really smart people. A blast. Uh, yeah, oh, no pun intended. Yeah. I really didn't mean that wow, one. Wow, that's, that's a one, like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, wow. let's see what other ones we can do um, before the end of this. But um, no, it, it, it's a fascinating industry. There are really interesting people that I work with. And um, at, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what I do is 
always talking about rockets, getting people excited about space. Uh, I get to, to travel around the world and, uh, and and tell people about the things we're doing, and it's it's, it's really fascinating. Cool. There's been such an interesting transition in. Um you know, sort of, I think how people perceive space exploration nowadays. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I'm old enough to remember uh, seeing uh, Neil Armstrong walk on the moon on live TV. And, uh, you know, that's that was obviously a life-changing experience. Um, but it's become, um, I think, much more in, I mean, you know, back then, uh, doing any kind of a launch was a major national initiative. You know, it was something that only uh, extremely ambitious and generally antagonistic nation states got into. And now it's, uh, you know, it's a day-to-day commercial enterprise. I mean, I actually don't, I have no idea how many launches per year there are. I'm sure it varies. Um, but it's it's become something that's much more a part of our daily lives, d- despite the fact that we haven't been back to the moon in quite a, you know, quite a number of years. Uh, we're still going to space in general quite a lot more often than when I was a kid. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm sorry we don't have any moon bases yet. <laughs> um but the fact that it has become so much a part of daily life is uh, it's a, such a huge change from uh, you know 30 40 years ago. No no absolutely I mean space is, is part of everybody's daily life. Um, we launch I mean in the industry you launch uh, GPS satellites, communication satellites, so much of our of our day-to-day life relies on the commercial side of, of space exploration. And then there's the really exciting piece of commercial human space transportation, um, whether that's to low Earth orbit or to other destinations. And there's still a big focus on it in, in on the government side as well. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't grow up having seen the Apollo missions. I watched it on TV, obviously it's had exciting you, had, about that. But, but the, <laughs> um, the biggest um, space event when I was growing up was actually the, the Columbia disaster. That oh, was yeah. the oh, disaster gosh, that yeah. made yeah. headlines. And so um, for a, a lot of people in my engineering class um, around around my age, that's that's the headline. And that's horrible if that's what's inspiring Clum- a next Columbia, generation. Not Challenger. not Challenger. Yeah, I'm a little, just a little after Challenger. Um, <laughs> but, but Columbia was, was in high school and very memorable and very seared into my brain. And so um, the idea that you have a, a social responsibility to be a really good engineer and protect people's lives and get these important assets into space, um, I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit daunting, but I think it's, it's a fascinating challenge. And then just recently this week, um, the NASA InSight lander went to Mars. Yeah. It was successful. And if you get a chance to see a clip of the of the engineers high-fiving each that other was, when it it's lands, awesome. it's, yeah, I, totally. it's really neat. I mean, anything that has seven minutes of terror and then suddenly there's a success, which, which looks like a, a piece of data of telemetry that pops up on screen. It's not some real-time amazing video right, it's it's right, just right. It, it's it's exciting there's not a camera there ahead of time because if there were you would have right. already had another spacecraft landing right successfully ahead of exactly time. Yeah. and generally just i was mentioning earlier but the, the the space industry is just it's so binary things either work or they don't and it's um that's what makes it exciting but that's right. that's also right. what makes it challenging um but i'm happy to be a part of it yeah. I, I like this idea that the the exciting event isn't like a big beautiful live stream or some like crazy thing that pops up on screen it's like it's a data point right and that must be how so much of mm-hmm. working in spaces right it's like it's these big grandiose ideas that right. could impact all of human civilization and possibly more sure but it's all about these like tiny little data points and like it's it's minutiae essentially mm-hmm. that actually ends up making the difference right right i mean there certainly are these very visible things but um you know payload separating from a second stage that's not something you necessarily see from the ground. Um, And that's, that's make or break of multi hundreds of millions of dollars program, or, um, you know, just like, just like the landing that that we saw. So, um, or if you talk to astronomers who are getting streams of data and analyzing it after 
years. It's not just a pretty picture that they see. It's it's getting all this this data in and analyzing it, and suddenly you've made some huge discovery. Yeah. And so you, I mean, there are obviously people who, who are doing that work, who mm-hmm. are the engineers mm-hmm. and the scientists, but you, you sort of work on the business side of space, right? I, I do. So I'm an engineer by training, but I'm much more on the, the business development outreach side of, of the industry. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot more to working in the space industry than just being an astronaut or, or being an engineer, um, though we love engineers. More engineers are better. I'd like to encourage everyone who's who's considering what to do in school to go be an engineer. There's so much you can do with it. But um, within the industry, you have lawyers, you have lobbyists, you have salespeople, you have marketing reps. And 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 I'd encourage people that if you're interested in, in this industry, just just go for it. Even if you don't have a technical background, there's um, there's so much you can you can do it in. And, and, and it's really fun. Um, just to be, I mean, to be around rockets and space stuff, it's, it's, yeah, it's super funny how, cool. It's funny how people find their way into these industries. I mean, I think the same, the same is kind of true of uh, uh, the watch industry. There are a lot of us who find, found our ways in, into it more or less by accident. I mean, I had a good friend uh, in college who was a, a, you know, a drama major, a theater major, and ended up working at uh, JPL doing public really? outreach education programs. Oh, my gosh. Which was, I mean, you know, you can How kind cool. Of, yeah, you can, and you can kind of see the similarity mm-hmm. in, in retrospect between those two um, you know, sort of activities, but you would never think to yourself, you know, as a drama major in college, yeah, someday I'm going to work at Jet Propulsion <laughs> Laboratory. It's amazing. Yeah. That's great. So what do you see, you know, being kind of immersed in, in this every day? What do you see as the next sort of big challenges? You know, Jack, Jack mentioned, you know, seeing Neil Armstrong on the moon as this like life-changing event. What do you think are the next kind of milestones in space that are going to be those moments for the next generation of people? Sure. I think in, in, in space, generally, people talk about having Sputnik moments. So when Sputnik launched, it sparked this this entire space race and um Billions of dollars were poured into a brand new industry, and and that was that was very much more driven by national security concerns. Um, but but it sparked a generation of new engineers and rocket scientists and and people excited and motivated to to wanting to have this indus- this this industry grow. Um, and so, what is that next Sputnik moment? Yeah, yes, there was Neil Armstrong on the moon, of course. Um, there, you know, I, I I don't know what's next. Maybe it's something in the commercial space area. Um, of course, uh, a long term goal is to get people to Mars. I think that's that's really important and really exciting, and um, something the industry together is working toward. And it's going to be an international effort too. Yeah, so, yeah. so when you first got in touch with us, I, I mean, I'm having a really great time talking about all of this <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about by email before you um, so kindly agreed to come and come and be on the show with us is uh, the sort of parallel experience that you have um, between uh, being a woman in an industry that was traditionally sort of thought to be male dominated, mm-hmm. you know, aerospace engineering specifically, and what it's like to be as an enthusiast in uh, uh, in an area that is almost reflexively thought to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, by default, without any question, male-dominated, which is an interest in watches, an interest in horology, an interest in timekeeping, which, you know, as we all know, is deeply, deeply woven into the fabric of um, uh, the aeros- mm-hmm. aerospace industry historically as well. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe like continue the conversation here sure. a little bit that you and I started by email, you know, where we talked about exactly what, you know, sort of what that par- parallel experience is like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm not uncomfortable being, um, working in a male-dominated industry, um, participating in hobbies that are more male-dominated. I, I like cars a lot, too. That's that's something that mostly has, has been in it. But mm-hmm. um, I I work with a bunch of nerds, right? I mean, it's... I, I it's I know. A bunch of engineers. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Stephen has no idea what that's like. <laughs> no, none. But it's um, it, it's a really interesting um, group of people that all like to be around machines and talk about machines and want to understand how things work. Right, and sure. here's here's one that you can wear, right? And so definitely having the the space the space interest and the watch interest go go hand in hand together. But mm-hmm. um, I've never had a negative experience working in the space industry, which is which is definitely male dominated. Right, and right. really, I've seen over the past 10 years in my career that that totally changing. It's um, while well, when I initially started, it wasn't uncommon for me to be the only woman in the room. Um, and that has totally changed. It's 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 a much better split now. It's great. And I think you're you're the, the industry is benefiting from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, universities are graduating more and more female engineers these days. And I think that's great. And we need we need more women in the industry to um, to 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 start off their careers and yeah, in space yeah. companies and grow up with it. And it's just going to get better. Um, I, you know, not to, to go back to the Mars, um, insight landing. If you, if you watch that clip, you'll see a bunch of young female engineers yeah, for sure. on front console. And like, that's so great. That's so exciting. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really proud to be working with some young women who are coming up in the industry um, at, at a variety of different companies and organizations. And it's just great to see them grow. And they they just excel in this industry. It's it's fantastic. Um, on the watch side, we still need a little bit of work. Uh, oh we still need work on the space side. But um, but on the watch side, that, that's certainly the case. And, you know, I got it. I got interested in watches and I quickly delved into the research whole of the internet that is so sure, easily sure. able to do. And classic, exactly. classic, classic yeah. nerd move, yeah. <laughs> well, let, let, let me ask you, so, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, or what, what was, I mean, what, what was early days for you? I mean, you know, for me, it was, I got, int- I picked up a broken pocket watch at a flea market, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, and I got curious about how they worked, uh, just from looking at the mechanism. And like, that was sort of my Sputnik moment mm. in, in the world of I like, watches. I like the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, it's almost did, like did you, you do this professionally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Did you have an experience like that where you just you picked a mechanical watch in particular that you picked up and said, you know, what the hell's going on inside this thing? Um, to be honest, um, when I got engaged and I got a really nice diamond ring from my fiance, I thought it was not really fair that I got diamonds and he got nothing. And, and bravo so, for thinking that. Yeah. And so I really wanted to get him a watch. And that's what started this whole um, research um, spiral. Right, right. Um, but as I got to learn about movements, um, and the history of watches and some really iconic watches, I instantly wanted a Speedmaster, right? I work in the space industry. Oh, yeah. that yeah. The Speedmaster is the watch to have. That was great. And so I, I went and tried one on, and it was giant on me. And it just it just doesn't fit. I tried it yeah. with a strap. I tried it on a bracelet. And my thought at the time was I'm going to buy one watch. This is a watch I'm going to wear every day. Right, right. Um, and it, it was it's, it's too big on me. And I was so disappointed. And I was trying to look at are there other – are there other space watches that might be of interest? And they're just, they're really weren't. Um, they were trying to get me into some of the ladies' models of Speedmasters. I was like, no, they have diamonds and they're, right, right, right. they're all sparkly. Um, no, I really want the, Plus, the classic. Plus, you know, if you're, I mean, just from an engineering standpoint, uh, from an engineering purism standpoint, like if you are in the air, you're working in the mm-hmm. aerospace industry, you're a rocketry geek, you're a space exploration geek, you don't want like anything other than the watch that you know was and still is you know mm-hmm. currently certified for manned spaceflight. You want mm-hmm. you, you want the moon watch. I want the moon watch. Yeah. No, I I absolutely I wanted the moon watch. The hell with all that other stuff. Yeah, I couldn't get the moon watch. <laughs> um, and uh, you know that was a big huge purchase for me to yeah. to want to be able to do that. And I just I, 
couldn't do it. So I was really disappointed. Um, then I went on the other side of the spectrum and decided to research women's watches. What's the most classic women's watch that you could get within a reasonable budget? Mm-hmm. And I settled on the Cartier tank, thinking that, Great choice. you know, yep. if Jackie O can wear it, maybe I can wear it too. Right, that, right. Would, good, that would be fine. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, and I love it. I still wear it all the time. It's, yeah. it's a great watch, but it's it, an amazing watch. It, they're, they're beautiful. Um, Probably I, I would say one of the top two or three most imitated watches of all time. It's true. You know, that's true. And been with us since 1918. Is it really that long? Yeah, I mean the the legend about the um, it's it's one of these apocryphal stories that the watch industry is full of. You know, like classic watch uh, models, they're kind of like superheroes. They all come along with the, like these amazing origin stories that yeah. no one can actually verify. Uh, but the story with the tank is that is actually based on what a uh, there was a World War One general named Pershing, and uh, the idea was and there was a tank named after him. So the uh, I think the th- oh no, I'm sorry, um, it, it wasn't wasn't a Pershing tank. That was a World War Two tank. Uh, it was based on uh, the way um, the, the first. Uh, uh, Renault tank looked. If, uh, Obviously, you, I would have made that mistake too, yeah. not knowing yeah. that. Uh, the <laughs> um, and uh, the uh, the design is supposed to date from 1918, huh. and uh, um, you know they have some design drawings at Cartier that are you know roughly hmm. from that period. But it's been around a really long really? time. And something that not a whole lot. This is uh, something you might be interested in hearing as an owner. Um, it's it was a watch that for most of its history, Cartier didn't they didn't make that many of them. Hmm. I mean, the year that Rudolph Valentino uh, bought his, uh, they made three of them. Really? Yeah. I did not um, know that history. And, and most years up until like up about 1970 or so, most years they made less than 100 and sometimes huh. a lot less than 100. Wow. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a actually it's a watch that for most of its history was an extremely exclusive watch to own. You had to be a known Cartier mm-hmm. client and you, there were three places in the world that you could go and ask if you could have one. You know, the Cartier Boutique in Paris, the one in London or the one in New York. And a lot of the time the answer would simply be no because they just weren't yeah. making that many. Wow. Them. You know, so you, you had if you could if you could get a tank from Cartier in the nineteen twenties, thirties, forties, you had most favored nation status with wow. Cartier. Yeah. Now that story did not pop up in the forums. That's yeah. that's great. Yeah. And so <laughs> when did you kind of like take the plunge and get this that, tank? That was about six years ago. Okay. Um, five years ago. And then it just spiraled from there yeah. very yeah. quickly. Um, it's a great gateway watch. It, it is. Yeah. And the whole point of it was to buy a watch that I could wear forever and yeah, it was sure. just going to be a classic, um, something I was proud to wear. Um, I got it for my, my 30th birthday. That was going to be the watch the watch that I wore. Nice. Yeah. Um, but no, that just that nope. just Right delved. out the window. Yep, yep, <laughs> we all tell down. ourselves that lie for right. a little while and yeah. then... It's right out the window. And then it goes and, and yeah. It's interesting though that you went from really wanting a Speedmaster mm-hmm. Moonwatch uh, to uh, to buying a Cartier tank because they're both in their own way absolute classics in their sure. respective. You know, and, and I do still want a Speedmaster. I'm yeah, really yeah. thinking about a first Omega in space. I think that's close enough to the the original. Um, it's a gorgeous it can, watch. It too. is good and it's and it's, it's beautiful and it's yeah. smaller and it looks great on the. Our, on our the producer bracelet. Gray happens to have one here with him that we can oh, pass across to so you. So beautiful. Yeah, you and I need to talk. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Yeah. 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 The raised logo. They really nailed These it. These are amazing. It's one of those alternative Speedmaster models yeah. that even a, a, a sort of a Moonwatch purist can fall in love with. Yeah, I mean, 100%. It's just, a, it's just a great watch. Yeah, we'll link up to uh, our story about that watch in the in the I'm, show notes. I'm going to try it on. Yeah, you oh, should. Yeah. It matches the strap. Matches it does. Your sweaters, I matched too. my outfit. This oh, is man. great. This was meant to be. Yeah. Um, I do actually, I, I often match my watches to outfits. And frank, frankly, I bought this ridiculously neon orange pink shirt a few weeks ago just because it matches the second hand on the Nomos Club campus that I bought. Oh, that's a good okay. reason. Um, so, you know, reason enough yeah. to, to do that. This fits me perfectly. I'm just trying on his, his first Omega <laughs> yeah. space. Gray might be leaving without great. a watch. Yeah, that, that could happen. Um, one time when I was trying on a Speedmaster and a Tourneau 
store in the in the DC area, um, I ran into an astronaut who I work with on a regular basis. Oh, no he spent some time cool. on the International Space Station, and we just got to talking about watches. And um, I was like, you know, what are you looking at? What's what's your next watch? Right? You can always bond with somebody over yeah, talking about that. And he's yeah. like, oh, no, I'm just I'm just picking up my watch. I'm like, what watch are you picking up? Oh, my Speedmaster. It's like you mean a Speedmaster or your Speedmaster you flew with. And he's like, the Speedmaster I flew with. And I was like, these guys have no idea that oh this God. watch they has been no on Space Station. And he let me look at it and try it so on. So are most just of the astronauts now flying with watches that they own or are they government issued? It's actually a really good question. I think they mostly, I don't know if they're issued or if it's what they fly with, but I think they um, fly with X-33 Okay. now. Mm-hmm. I think okay. that's the one that I've yeah. seen. Some of the astronauts that I... I occasionally get to interact with that seems to be what they're wearing okay um i would love to know what women astronauts have worn that would be really interesting is it not the same watch it probably is um but like what did sally ride wear Um, or what did like the the first russian in space valentina tereshkova what did what watch was she wearing that would be fascinating i remember a few years ago reading that we uh, we we published a story about a year and a half ago i think on Mm -hmm. uh, you know sort of like what you know? What what watches have people worn? Uh, you know, historically, and it was mostly focused on the Speedmaster. When we found all this great ar- archival Fun. shots of you know, they were wearing them on Skylab, mm-hmm. and they were wearing them on. Um, oh, uh, neat. Uh, all the way up to the present day, apparently they are still uh, standard issue exterior timepieces on the uh, Russian-made EVA suits. Okay. Um, and I don't know if that information is still current, huh. but it was at the time of publication. Okay. And I didn't know that. We actually yeah. we published the story, and a, uh, an astronaut actually wrote in, and he was like, I don't know if you guys know this, but like that's, they're, they're still up there wow. you know, to this day. Interesting. So I thought that was super cool. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. It makes you, it's the kind of thing that makes you hold up your head a little bit more proudly when you're a Speedmaster. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I know some people at the NASA History Office, if you want, um, need to find out more. We will oh, definitely <laughs> love to be know taking advantage of that. And now a message from this week's sponsor. Hi, everybody. I'm Hodinkee Editor-in-Chief Jack Forster. Tag Heuer's history in motorsports is as deep as it gets. And it's not just the fact that their watches, chronographs, and stopwatches were and are owned and used by countless racing professionals and enthusiasts. At one point, the firm even financed the development of an engine for use in Formula One in the 1980s as a championship-winning power plant for McLaren. Today, that heritage is alive in the latest version of the Heuer Octavia, which features elements of the iconic reference 1163 from 1972, including its signature red dial markers. Order early, and you'll receive a copy of the book Inside Track, authored by the legendary Phil Hill, the first American ever to win the Formula One Drivers' Championship. For more information, you can visit taghoyer.com. And now we're back to the show. You know another really cool uh, sort of aerospace watch that is not made anymore, um, but that is, it, but that has a very small, very avid collector community is the Bull of Accutron. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, as you probably know, the Accutron was it was the issue watch for the guys who flew uh, Project Oxcart for the mm-hmm. CIA, the YF-12A. Um, I don't think that they continued to use them when they transitioned over to the SR-71, but for 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 Oxcart, uh, it hmm. was uh, it was the standard issue watch, and the X-15 pilots all wore it. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
Is that the one that the, they, they call the Moonwatch, the Bolova Moonwatch, or it's different? A different, a different. Okay. The one that they call the Bolova Moonwatch was a. It was originally a, a mechanical model, wasn't it? A mechanical it was. Bolova Chrono. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was taken. Uh, I mean, I have to look all this stuff up increasingly as I get mm. older. But uh, my recollection is you had a certain uh, size and weight limit for personal items that you could bring with you into space if you were okay. one of the Apollo astronauts. I don't think Apollo Gemini or um, Mercury Atlas guys were supposed to like take anything extra with right, them at all. Right. Uh, but the Apollo guys could bring a few keepsakes hmm. with them, um, and s- uh, several of them chose to bring their personal wristwatches as well as their issue Speedmasters. Hmm. Um, oh gosh, what's his name on thirteen? Uh, brought his GMT Master with him, um, and this particular on uh, this particular mission, Jim Lovell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 not Lovell. Um, oh gosh, I'm so upset with myself that I'm spacing his name. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll link that in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> command the command module. Whoever the command module pilot was, but uh, he he wore his uh, GMT Master, really? uh, Pepsi Bezel GMT Master. Well, maybe that's what I need. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, uh, another very good choice. It's a it's a fantastic, fantastic yeah. watch. Yeah. And you the, can still... the reason I asked mm-hmm. uh, about whether these watches are personal or not mm-hmm. is because yeah. from that era, when the watches were government issue, mm-hmm. when you came back down, the watch was taken back, and like all the other equipment, it was cleaned up, inspected back, and, and made usable for mm-hmm. another flight, and. For that reason, these watches aren't out there. Like most of the yeah. early uh, early watches, mostly Speedmasters, um, just don't exist. And there's I, I think one there's been one flown Speedmaster that came up at auction a while. Ago. There was one yeah. a little while, and there's also one. So apparently, after they were reconditioned, they would be put in these sort of sealed, like vacuum sealed bags that said like "ready for flight" mm-hmm. on them. And there's one. Somebody told me that there is one. I think it's in the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, hmm. and oh, it's like cool. it's in the museum still oh, in its sealed bag, ready I can't to fly. You ran into an astronaut, you know, picking up his flown speed. Well, it's not like that's... he runs around in his blue flight suit. No, you know, sure, that he's an astronaut. Sure, sure. But... What if he did though? Uh, that would be that would be pretty awesome. That would be amazing. That, that's, that's a sort of a, that's not like a full-on Sputnik moment, but yeah. that's a little bit of a Sputnik yeah. moment right there. I've never even seen a flown Speedmaster. Uh, it, I mean, Jack, cool. that's, that's yeah. not that's surprising. Like, no. that's a pretty I, I rare think, thing. I think they get to keep the X-33s that they have now. Because okay. I've seen them wearing them, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that, maybe they bought them back from NASA. Yeah. Okay. I would love to know how that process works. Yeah. But the Apollo 11 um, Speedmasters, this is probably a well-known story, but Buzz Aldrin's got stolen yeah. right, on yeah. the way to, um, to the Air and Space Museum. And then I think, and that was in the 70s, and I, I think after that, um, the other astronauts, Neil Armstrong, had to, had to, Turn his back in. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. the story I've heard. But yeah, it's one of those lost watches. It's kind of like the Ark of the Covenant. You hear yeah. rumors every once in a while that it might be out there Maybe. somewhere. Sure, someone knows. Yeah, and someone's. And then it the only thing somewhere. is, if it ever popped up, it would quickly, quickly, quickly end up back in the Smithsonian. I'm sure. Yeah, it yeah. would not. Yeah. All right. So we, 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 you went from you went from the Speedmaster to the tank. I went to the Two tank, classes. which doesn't seem like you know going from a Speedmaster to tank, but no, uh, I'm working my way back sense. to a Speedmaster probably. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I you stopped at Nomos. I stopped, the yep, and then I went to, to Nomos. Um, okay. I just was starting to research the brand and I loved it. Um, and so I, I bought the Tetra um, nice. after oh, going to the I tank. Jack was just telling me it. that he wants a Tetra. It with me. Yeah. Um, having the... Um, the Tetra is actually my favorite Nomos. I, I just oh, love it. Go. And I right had there. to get this, the clean, the green yeah. color, because it oh. has the power reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, but after researching the tank, I love square watches. And then to see that, and I got to try it on in um, Frankfurt and saw it and 
had to buy it. That was. I mean, that was really almost from Germany is. is it's it a good is. souvenir. And and I brought my, one of my colleagues with me. He was he was on a trip with me, and um, I I first got into Nomos because I was interested in the um, the World Time mm-hmm. one that they have, and I was like, oh, I travel a bunch. It'd be great to have the the World Time. Tried it on, too big. Mm. Um, got him to try it on. And then he ended up buying that one, and I bought this one, and we didn't get, we didn't get much of a deal. Maybe I mean, strapped for it. time you've spent on airplanes, do you think maybe the next logical watch for you would be a, a world timer? Or I would GMT love watch? a world timer or a GMT. Um, and actually, that's just a question I have back for you: is for a space geek that you know, thirty-seven millimeters, thirty-eight, probably about as big as I really want to go. Um, I would I would love a GMT or world time. Patek yeah. is a beautiful one, but that's a little out oh of the budget. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So any but recommendations would be great. I, I mean, from a from a sort of a space geek standpoint, yeah. I think uh, the, you know the logical choice is probably um, probably a, a vintage GMT Master. Yeah, I would have um, to agree there. You know, so, something with a nice, clean, anodized aluminum okay. bezel, because I mean that just says like classic 1960s, yeah. you know, dawn of space exploration. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, and, our good friend and former Hodinkee Radio uh, guest Gary Steingart, shout out to shout out to Gary. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gary has a GMT master that I believe was owned by a NASA astronaut. Oh, really? Uh, NASA engineer, not oh. an astronaut. Um, I'll have to double check that. Yeah. And we can fact check that somewhere. But yeah, uh, yeah that's definitely I think the Swaggered on thirteen. That's the one. That's the oh, guy okay, it was his. Interesting. Yeah, was his. Um, yeah, so he he flew with that and also with a with a Speedmaster. And of course, wow. one of the things that people love to argue about mm-hmm. is uh, you know there was a, that sort of famous situation where they couldn't use uh, the instrument panel in the command right. module because they had to save every. Uh, tiny, tiny erg of battery mm-hmm. power that they could possibly save. So he famously used one of his watches to time the famous mid-course mm-hmm. correction burn. And, um, you know, I've, I've actually read the NASA, uh, you know, ground-to-earth logs of the conversation. And, I mean, he, he used the Speedmaster. But, you know, to, yeah. p- people don't really – like the strong Rolex advocates yeah. are like, no, it was no. the GMT master. <laughs> and, you know, the Speedmaster people are like, hey, you no, idiots. No, it's Speedmaster. Yeah, you know, so, so it's just one of those, like, arguments that people love to have. I but love if you're if, if you If you're looking for a two-time zone watch that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is really strongly, strongly associated mm-hmm. – and, of course, there's the Pan Am time sure. as well. And, I mean, a ton of pilots have yeah. worn and used that watch. Uh, it's a It's a classic. They're great. And yeah. they're not too big. I actually tried one on earlier. If it's just fine, that'd be all right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Maybe add that. Maybe add that next. So what else is in that little bag? Um, Yeah. So I brought some watches with me, which are fun. Um, A couple of these are your fault. Um, (laughs) Dinky. Music Um, tours. Yeah. Just for fun, I got ruining wallets everywhere. This was. I think Cara wrote an article about the rose gold uh, Marlin, and um, I just bought that quickly and put it on a fun. Rose gold Milanese mesh, but yep. this is just this is just a blast to wear when I cool. want to wear a rose gold watch and yep. a little bit more interesting than some of the rose gold fashion watches you see out there. Um, I also um, I like to buy watches for occasions mm-hmm. or mark, to mark particular, particular moments. Yeah. Um, and I bought the um, SKX zero one three before I went to um, a big vacation in the Seychelles. Mm-hmm. I wanted a dive watch. We were nice. going to be, you know, snorkeling in, in the water a bunch. And did, well, that's, that's a classic. And so this was great. And I can't believe how much I love it. And it's what great, bang right? Free yeah. buck for you get. And, um, it's one of those watches you kind of great. like buy almost as an afterthought. And then yeah. you realize that like you love it and you're just spending and a lot of time. I was like, Oh, I need a, you know, I want a vacation watch. I want yeah. something that I don't have to worry about when I travel. And I wear this, I wear this sucker all the time. Um, I ride horses. That's kind of another hobby that I have. And this is actually a perfect watch to ride horses with oh. because 
because I can time things with the with the dive bezel. I know how long I've been riding. It's yeah. super rugged. You see it has dirt all over it because I have to I, it's say, just honestly, like, for sort of like day to day timing uh, needs, I often find a dive watch bezel just yeah. more convenient than a than a chronograph. Yeah, and certainly a lot less uh, you know complex mechanically. Sure. And I'm super interested right now in the um, the, the newer 36 millimeter Longines um, oh. that, that came out the the Heritage Diver. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and they they downsized it, and I think there's still the standard black one, but they've also mm-hmm. done the Mother of Pearl, which is beautiful. I haven't seen yeah. one in person yet. The Mother um, of Pearl is one. really nice. Is it cool? It's really really okay. nice. They did a good job. Those are a reasonable price point too. I think. Oh yeah, they, they are. They're not. They Horrible. did a good job too keeping the proportions. Often when you downsize a watch like that, you end up with this problem where it like something has to give and mm-hmm. it just ends up like not quite feeling the same. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, they did a really good job making it feel right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were saying before we started recording, mm-hmm. by the way, that um, uh, you and your husband had managed to get down to uh, the new watches of Switzerland boutique. It's a Soho. fantastic boutique. And it's you, you great. Were able to see, you were able to see Grand Seiko in person. I was. So I, I live in DC and I don't think there's anywhere that sells Grand Seiko or maybe I'm just, I'm just missing out, but yeah. um, they have a, a Grand Seiko set up um, in the, on that lower level and it's beautiful. It's stunning. Um, I got to try some of their watches on and I, I wasn't really a, Grand Seiko fanatic are particularly interested in them, but need to see while you're there and seeing them in person in the metal just completely changes it. Um, And they had, I guess it was a release that's just for the U.S., this light blue dial. Um, And to see that in person, it's like getting lost in this blue marbly You you wrote about that much, right, Jack? Yeah, yeah. I saw the the first prototypes that they had in the U.S. in Vegas earlier this year, and boy, oh boy, it's a beautiful watch. It's great. And, you know, those are very, very difficult watches to kind of, if you're you're skeptical, about Grand Seiko, it's very hard to sell yourself on those on the basis of pictures. It I is. Think it's, you really it is. Gotta, yeah. yeah. Have um, you had other experiences like that with watches where you kind of, you saw something and you were like, ah, I don't know if this is for me. And then you saw it in the middle and you were like, whoa. Yeah. So actually the second Nomos, um, I was in Europe for work and I wanted to, again, I wanted to get a watch for my husband. Um, I feel like if I buy a watch for him, then it gives me an excuse to buy a watch for me to yep. even things out. Like maybe been, that been makes there. it okay. Yeah. Been there. And so I actually, I think I saw a review about the Nomos Club campus. Um, and I was like, well, let me check that out. He was interested in it, but I wasn't particularly interested really and then i saw it in the metal it was great it was beautiful the hand wine felt great um it wore super well so i bought him the larger um darker dial one Mm -hmm. i can't remember what they call it and then i also bought myself the um smaller 36 millimeter with the the white dial and i love that watch I, i wear it all the time i also put it on a um, on a, a mesh bracelet just to make it a little bit. They, little they, bit they do a quite need. respectable multi time zone watch as well as I'm sure you know. It's not. I mean, it doesn't have it's a strong aerospace. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful, yeah. but well, a little too big for me. Um, but yeah, I think I think the world of Nomos and to see those are just are fantastic. So yeah. you know, when you go to, I mean, I, it's starting to happen, and it's funny that we're having this conversation mm-hmm. now and that you're you're a guest on the podcast now because one of the things that I think we've all noticed happening more and more is we are actually starting to see more uh, women's voices Good. in this little hobby, this crazy little <laughs> hobby of ours. And you know, one of the exciting things to me about people sometimes ask me, how can you possibly write about watches? Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're you're an adult for God's sake. You know, <laughs> when are you going to get a real job? Um, 
but one of the great things about it is uh, is that you do get a chance to meet people from so many different backgrounds mm-hmm. with so many different interests. I mean, I'm 100% sure that if I wasn't doing what I was doing for a living, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Probably not. Um, <laughs> you know, and the, the way that. that it kind of connects people is fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it seems obvious that the whole hobby can only be enriched by the presence of more women's voices and more women's perspectives. I, I, I hope so. And, and one thing I love about, you know, what I do in work is I talk to a ton of different people from you know, all, all over the place. Most tend to be engineers or technically minded. And yeah. so when I see someone with a watch that's at all remotely interesting, to be able to talk to them instantly about it and hear the stories. And they, they, there is always a story that somebody has about their watch. People don't just 100%. put it on and like, I don't, whatever, I don't care about this. You, right. you don't you don't ever get right. that. Um, and to instantly be able to connect with someone and kind of break through that initial barrier and tell a story about their watch and ask what their next watch is. I, I love that. I think it's I, I think it's it's really, really fun. Um, and I often um, get questioned and probably nerd out a little bit too much early in those conversations <laughs> where I'm like, oh, is this the you know, one six seven one zero or the one one six seven zero. Jack's never done like, that yeah. before, ever. Um, <laughs> and go into reference numbers, and you see their eyes glaze over, and it's like, oh, sorry, let me let me yeah. take it take it back pump, a step. Pump the brakes, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think they're not also probably not used to having running into women who know a lot about watches. But um, now it's great because I I like to help friends pick out what watches to get. Um, yeah. You know, um, guy friends also often ask me what they should get their you know girlfriends or wives as, yeah, as yeah. gifts, and I love being able to do that because if I can watch shop for somebody else, that's that's the perfect situation. Yeah. You get all the fun of the hunt without the, I really the sting do. at the end. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a little bit on a personal mission to try to get um, all my girlfriends into mechanically interesting watches. Um, my friend just got a Cartier, and it's great. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, I think the stereotype maybe that a lot of people would have about people with uh, you know a STEM background mm-hmm. is that you're just going to see a lot of multifunction quartz watches. Mm-hmm. It's I, yeah, and you do see those yeah. sometimes, but um, I think people like to understand. You know, engineers like to understand how things work. And and let's you, face it, the problem of accurate mechanical timekeeping. You know, uh, in a miniature, you know, machine that mm-hmm. sits on your wrist, which is not the greatest place to keep a high precision measurement instrument. Sure, sure. You know, it's a really interesting engineering challenge. It, it is. I mean, you have a lot of potential energy in here that is being released at a very particular. Um, precise rate, and that's just something that's that's cool and, and interesting, and it's, you know, particularly these um, exhibition backs to just yeah. stare at it and get lost in it, and um, I I think it's you I know I, really I, I sometimes uh, hear people voice as a criticism of less expensive mechanical watches. Oh, why would you put a display back on it? There's nothing terribly interesting to look at. And my feeling is always like, come on, this there's something really interesting. Yeah, to look at. you can you Absolutely. can take a seventy five dollar Seiko five, yeah. and like it's fun to watch that movement. Sure, more, and, it's, and it's and it's uh, it's intellectually and emotionally mm-hmm. interesting. No, I know absolutely. I think it's I think it's really fun. And actually, um, I think a good way to um, when you're talking to new engineers and getting them comfortable explaining technology, it's always good to ask a question of, "Can you explain to me how something works?" And a watch is a great example of yeah. you know go go learn for a second and really think about how a watch works and explain it back to me um, from from the ground up. And that's you know it's it's a great first thing to really. And it's it's it's, it's a non-trivial challenge because you know I mean they're not terribly complicated machines. Uh, you know, a, t- a time-only watch mm-hmm. or a time-only automatic watch. So there, you know, there's not a tremendous amount of mechanical complexity there. I mean, it's not like a Babbage difference mm-hmm. engine for crying out loud. <laughs> um, but uh, they work in a way that is not intuitive to us anymore. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it ever was intuitive to us. So it actually requires, a, and if you can get to the point where you have, a, you know, a sort of aha moment, 
Um, there's something really satisfying about understanding how a mechanical it's oscillator great. works. It's great. And, and just, I mean, to be wearing a machine on your wrist and really thinking about it and winding it up on the mornings you need to wind it up, I just, it's 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 yeah. great. And yeah, that, that tactile interaction I love is it. so much a part yeah. of it. I love it. So I'm, I've slowly converted a bunch of friends, which is which is, we, which is good. We love, you know, we love to hear that. One at a time. I have a friend who was recently elected to office, and she wants to get a watch to mark the occasion. So that's that's, that's, that's next week's reason. task of figuring yep. figuring that out. Um, but it's you know it, it's a great hobby. So if we look at the watches mm-hmm. that are in front of you on the table. Yes. None of those are watches that I think most people would call like in sort of like scare quotes, like ladies watches. Yeah. And do you think that the way that the watch industry markets products as men's products and women's products is in any way helpful? Or is it something that you think is is sort of like artificially really laid on top question. of these things? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I would love to see Omega market a space watch to women for the space watch aspect of it, not right. because it's shiny and has diamonds all over it and is a piece of jewelry. And and I think I, I don't think I'm alone. You know, I think there are lots of, of women out there who see watches different from other types of jewelry. Um, but I I would like to see more marketing of simple, smaller watches that are mechanically interesting, that are beautiful, um, but more uh, finished really, really well, but not necessarily done with diamonds and sparkles and, sure. and and shiny things. Um, I want something that tells the time. I want something that can um, get beat up. I would love a GMT um, or some complications that are that are more useful. Um, but I, I don't want to travel with with diamonds and, and so it's just not my yeah. not my aesthetic either. And and um, most of the women that I'm friends with and and work with, they don't not necessarily. Now that being said, um, a vintage. Bulgari Serpenti with diamonds yeah. and jewels all over it would be would be just fine. I think um, Jack would also wear one of those. <laughs> Honestly, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and more than once I've thought to myself when I have to go to a formal occasion and I, you know I have to break the top so out. Great. Boy, would I love to wear I would, one of those. Be, I would love to do. I it. would. I mean, we should crowdfund that. Yeah. That would be amazing. Jack. That would be, that'd be I mean, good. It would it would it would drive a lot of people absolutely bananas. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, but boy, would that be fun. It would be really fun. <laughs> but I, I think back to your question of you know some of these like um, I mean IWC has done a pretty good job of this of, of marketing some of their their more simple almost unisex watches towards women mm. i think that's great um but it, rather than just downsizing men's watches and um and making them look more feminine uh, it would be interesting to see brands really start with a women's watch of what somebody today really wants um right. and, and and go from there and i'd like to see movements that are particularly crafted just for women's watches so like what would that look like I don't know. I mean, just just from a pure interest standpoint, I love the um, Diego La Cultura, the 101 that they, I mean, that is just beautiful and stunning. And to see something that that's um, that intricate and so small and so delicate, well done is is beautiful. I'm reasonably convinced that uh, on a certain level. I can't wait to hear what comes next. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm reasonably convinced that on a certain level, Jeje La Cultura wishes they had never made the 101 because um, it's very expensive for them to produce. I can see that. Um, It's incredibly difficult to service. Mm and uh, but you know it's it's you know just taken on its own merits. It's such a lovely, lovely little piece mm-hmm. of machinery, and there's nothing else like it in the world. No, they're know? just I think they're I think um, they're really beautiful. Yeah, but you know, and this is this is sort of a, a business problem and an engineering problem. Sure. I mean, you know, if you have something like a twenty eight ninety two 
um, you've long since you know gotten into economies of scale and sure. recovered recovered development sure. costs. If you want to make a a uh, shaped movement uh, with, uh, you know, sort of interesting technical aspects that doesn't have a lot of commonality mm-hmm. with, with whatever's, wh- whatever else is out there. You're talking a three to five year development mm-hmm. process and an investment of anywhere from 10 to 15 million francs, last I checked. Um, and, you know, it's just people, I think people, people tend to do the easy things because they're easy, they're less expensive, mm-hmm. and the production lines are already in place. You know, the reason that so many, um, you know, sort of watches that are marketed as women's watches basically look like men's watches that mm-hmm. have been left in the dryer too sure. long and then had glitter <laughs> sure. sprinkled on yeah. them. You know, it's just it's just the easy thing to do when mm-hmm. it sells. Yeah. You know? you know who's done a really good job of not doing that, though, is Chanel. That's true. Um, the That's new, true. The boyfriend, the, boyfriend, uh, the yeah. skeleton version. That is really, like, those watches those are, are cool. Those are really, really and they're, cool. Essentially, their movements designed by Roman Gautier. Yeah. Like, they're, they're serious watchmaking going on there. Yeah, 100%. And they kind of like, it's Chanel. They could totally take the easy way yes. out and just like slap a logo and some sure. diamonds on something and, and sell make a lot them of money. Yeah. all day. Uh, right. But they've done the the hard thing and it's it's fascinating. I think it's great that they did that. It's getting a lot of people. And uh, that's that one this year, right? It did win the year. Uh, yeah, yes, the it did. Yeah. At the, you would, you would at the GP. I'm, not, yeah, I'm not allowed to ask you if you voted for that, am I? I'm not allowed to say if I did. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Um, ben Cleef does a really good job, oh, too. The, they also won a bunch the of The planetarium. The latest oh, planetarium. How, oh, How my did God. we not ask about that yet? I know. Oh, yeah. Wow. We I think that has to be my grail watch if if there is one, I right? I mean, say it, so. it just that. I mean, that's that another one of those watches. I mean, you know, I really don't care who they think uh, they need to market nope. it towards. Just, I, it's just glad so it exists cool. and it's beautiful and really super stunning. It's also one of those pieces, and there are watches like this, I think, at all different kind of like price points and styles. It's one of those watches you show that to somebody, mm-hmm. and they have a million questions. Mm-hmm. They just yeah, want to yeah, know everything, sure. right, everything, and they yeah, don't need work, to know anything that, going yeah. into it. Right. And it's the same thing like with a Nomos. Mm-hmm. Nomos is a great brand for, you know, somebody says, oh, nice watch, mm-hmm. and you take it off your wrist and you show them. Right. They're like, oh, oh, my God, I didn't, what is, what's going yeah. on here? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think Van Cleef has done a really good job yeah, just, there yeah. creating things that are of sort of like genuine interest, even if you're not kind right. of predisposed I mean, to be into few, watches. You know, there's a few watches out there, um, like, you, you, I mean, just given your background, mm-hmm. you're, prob- you're probably aware of astronomical watches as a general mm-hmm. category. And I mean, there's something so fascinating about if you if you uh, if you have a sort of you know classic astronomical watch that shows all of the visible um, Newtonian planets, mm-hmm. Galilean planets, excuse me. <laughs> Um, you know, out to Jupiter, you've got, uh, you know, at the heart of this, you've got something that's beating, uh, you know, four or five times a second. And you've got a gear train and something, you know, small enough to put in the bottom of a coffee cup uh, that produces a period of eight and a half years, which is the orbital period of Jupiter. You know, and my, I mean, the thought that you can kind of encode all that in a mechanical form and something small enough to fit on the wrist, that's pretty cool. I also love that you have the orbital period of Jupiter just stored up there, it's, ready to go. It's that's noisy up there. That's good. This, <laughs> this is Jack. This is, this is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, kind of weird that I'm not surprised by the fact that you know that. I, but this is one of the reasons I was so excited about having you on the show. I mean, you know, this this the sort of ability to combine, um, you know, a high level of engineering knowledge with a you know with actual experience in, uh, um, uh, you know, in the aerospace industry. I mean, you know, like people like you, ever since my childhood, are you know have been have been you know the, the folks that are really making some of the most exciting things that human beings have ever it's done. Great happen. to be a part of. It's really yeah. really fun. Yeah. It's really really fun. So I got one more watch question. Okay. You mentioned that the planetarium kind of has to be your grail, yeah. which I would agree. Um, any other grails out there? Anything you're just like dying to get? Um, that's a really good question. Well, this was my initial grail, actually. When I first got into watches, I um, 
you know, shortly after the tank, I really wanted the Explorer One. That was just something that I I, I really really wanted. Um, Which is what you came in wearing. It today. is, yeah, yeah, and I wear it every day. And sometimes I feel bad that my other watches are getting ignored. But um, as, as somebody yes, who is also it's wearing a beautiful ten sixteen, yeah, who also ignores his other watches, yeah, I, it's, it's I can like I look at everything. You know, I I do like to wear different watches, but on a day to day basis, I I tend to pick that out. So that was my first Grail. I never thought it was a watch I'd be able to get, and to to now have it is just. I, I, I love it. I wear it all the time. Well, it's like the tank, isn't it? Nobody can argue with that watch. No, no, it's it's great. And at 36 millimeters, I think it it fits me great. Um, I love the new ones where the loom goes all the way through the through the numbers, mm-hmm, but yeah. um, this one this one fits. I'd love to have a ten sixteen one day. That'd be great, but we'll we'll work our way there. <laughs> Some, yeah, there's yeah. always there's always more to want, yeah. which is the joy and the curse of this hobby. How sure. many times have all of us heard someone say after they've bought a watch they've wanted for years, "Well, that's it, that's it, that's yeah, it." No. Yeah, and you know, three days later, <laughs> I've never heard you say that, Jack. Uh, I try. I try to keep my uh, okay know, suffering to myself. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I, I've heard the phrase like this is this is. I've heard this in the car world and, and other worlds too. But the correct number of watches to have is n minus one, and being the number at which right, your significant right. other leaves you. Right. That's right, that's right. like that's the yeah. that's the appropriate number of watches yeah, to have yeah. when it when it gets out of control. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it, I don't know. I mean, things like the the Van Cleve Planetarium. That's certainly a grail, but not something I would ever actually in real life expect to own. But um, I can appreciate it from yeah. Uh, An artistic, mechanical standpoint. I think it's beautiful. Um, I think to have a historically significant watch that had been to space would be incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'd I'd like. I I love the Snoopy Speedmaster. I think that's yeah. I mean, you know, a few astronauts apparently. You should ask. You should ask someone to smuggle something up and down. I know. I know. I should. That would be great. (laughs) I have no. I have no sense of like how hard that would be. Like we we deal with some pretty strange circumstances in this line of work, (laughs) but like. If you want to, like, how hard is it to get yeah. something to space and back? I would imagine yeah. really hard, right? I guess, yeah, I, I, I think it is. I mean, we'll see as, as commercial space activities happen more. Sure, I'm sure that's sure. going to be a part of it. But right. I guess the question back to you is if you were going to space, if you had the opportunity to go into low Earth orbit, what watch would you wear and bring back with you? Oh, gosh. Uh, the one that's on my wrist, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's, it's an explorer, explorer that's been to space. Explorer? Like, it yeah, doesn't, that's... to me, it doesn't get, oh, geez. Uh, to me, it doesn't get any better than that yeah. as I, you know, knock my phone off the table. Uh, I mean, my, my, you know, my answer is going to be a really obvious one. It would be my Speedmaster. Yeah. Um, when I, you know, I, I remember being, you know, six, seven years old and seeing ads for, you know, Speedmasters in National Geographic magazine. Um, and, you know, it was the astronaut's watch. Wait, there were Speedmaster ads in National Geographic? Um, oh, my gosh, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We got to find some of those. We got to find some of those. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I knew growing up that it was the astronaut's watch. I knew it was what the Apollo guys were wearing. Um, and, uh, you know, when I finally got out of graduate school and, uh, you know, had you know money to spend on something other than, you know, peanut butter and dried beans. <laughs> Um, the first watch that I, the first good Swiss watch that I bought for myself was a Speedmaster, you know, and it was like a long, slow burn before I could, you know, before Which I got you there. But still have so, and oh, still wear yeah, all oh, the time. Absolutely. absolutely. And it's so the last bonded, watch. There's history with that watch. Yeah. If you were to go to space yeah. and come back, that would. And, just, you know, I mean, the good. idea of, of actually personally going to space at some yeah. point, uh, is the single most exciting thing that I can yeah. think of. Um, should we go? And, do it. You want to go? <laughs> I'd, I'd go. In the name of journalism? I, I, absolutely. I would love I actually can't think of anyone I'd rather go to space with. Than you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, every kid my, uh, you know, my age, of course. Uh, you know, uh, wanted to be an astronaut, you know, at some point. And so I still I, do. So I got to turn the question around. Sure. What watch would you take to space? Uh, you know, I shouldn't have asked that question and not had, um, <laughs> had an answer. Uh, we're doing journalism, Jack. Uh, I know. Oh, I is. know. Um, Asking the hard questions. Yeah. 
What you know, watch my, would you wear to space? My dad wore a Navitimer, and I think that would okay. be really, really neat to wear his watch and and take it to space and back. Um, there had been be really, a handful really of Navitimers that had made it to space. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. 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 I think John Glenn had one that went to space at some point. I believe he had a cosmonaut. Hmm. The, first, the, first, the first one was, oh, God, what's his name? Um, one of the uh, one of the Gemini guys wore a, uh, okay. uh, had, had a, I can't believe I'm, uh, I'm going to get murdered <laughs> in the comments Jack, for this. Come on. Um, but uh, uh, one, of, one of the Gemini guys wore a, uh, was it? No, 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 it was Mercury Atlas. Um, and it was a modified, it was a modified Navitimer mm-hmm. uh, with a 24-hour dial. Yeah. Uh, what, what has come to be called the cosmonaut model. Yeah. Which is ironic, given that it was an American astronaut, not a cosmonaut yes, award. But you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. No. Tough, tough crowd right now. <laughs> yeah. um, cool. So we tend to wrap things up with a little bit of a lightning round. Okay. So I've got a couple questions sure. for you that are, you know, some watch-related, some okay. not. Um, so you can answer them with short answers. You can go a little longer okay. if you want. But uh, we'll do these, and then we'll we'll wrap things up. Okay. Um, what's a watch that's caught your eye recently? Um, you know, honestly, just going on and trying on that Grand Seiko, the, the American limited edition one with that light blue dial, that's suddenly at the top of the list and wasn't really expecting that. So (laughs) yeah, they had, they got a convert really quickly. That's not hard to do. Yeah. Uh, what's the best place you've traveled in the last year? Mm, Good one. I get to go to a lot of interesting places. Uh, I went to Bellagio with a group of friends on Lake Como and it was just beautiful and um the food was fantastic i was introduced to aperol spritzes and being on the water was great and um not that ridiculous of a place to go actually we got an airbnb it was just really relaxing and beautiful i highly recommend going and staying for a week and you're in the rocket business i was kind of hoping that you would say well i can't tell you where it is but i visited a trillionaire's (laughs) hollowed out volcano recently no such luck. <laughs> Instead, Lake Como, you know? Which yeah. is, which I wasn't nice. invited. Not bad. Nice. I think that's like a, that's no. a Houdinki favorite, I okay, would say, okay, is, is Lake Como. Yeah. yeah. It's very on brand for, for all us. All right. All right. Good. <laughs> um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? Best piece of advice? Yes. Um, to say, my first boss gave me the piece of advice to ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Um, and I, I think that's great of just generally trying to take some risk in what you do and be confident in the decisions that you're making. And, um, it may not always go exactly as planned, but I think, I think you learn more from putting yourself out there and trying and maybe failing than you do from, um, so it's a little, you know, cliche, but I think that's, oh, that's good. I think that's I'm, fine. A, I'm yeah. a big fan of that one. That's yeah. why I never ask Jack's permission. <laughs> How's it going for you? <laughs> yeah. So far so good. I that's think. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your guilty pleasure? Mm. It has to be my car. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a air cooled 911, um, a 993. So on brand. I know, Man. Wow. I know. I feel like a, a watch bro, but, um, <laughs> again, super on I brand. Know. <laughs> that's true. Um, I have an air cooled 911. It was my dad's. Um, but that's, that's where I spend my, my time and money on that car. I, I like to do autocross. That takes a lot of time. Um, and just go on country drives in Virginia. It's, it's beautiful. I love it. It's, yeah, it's you my baby. Any, you do any rallying at all? Um, no. <laughs> that'd, that'd be fun. I'd love yeah. to go on a rally. Yeah. Be a co-driver. Mm-hmm. I'd be a terrible co-driver. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
And uh, to wrap things up, yeah. we always do a cultural recommendation. So what is something you've seen or a place mm. you visited or something you just want to tell everybody to go check out when they're done with the show? Um, you told me to think about this and then I did. Then yeah. I, I didn't fully. <laughs> it's all but, right. Um, oh, I know. I, I've recently finished the series on Netflix, BoJack Horseman. Yeah. You've seen it. Yeah. It's kind of this ridiculous cartoon. The artist, um, she's fantastic too, Lisa Hanawalt. Um, but this anthropomorphic horse that has a washed up 90s TV show. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. It's, Voiced by Will Arnett. Yes, yeah, who's fantastic. Yeah. But um, it's hilarious. It's sentimental. Um, you could need to watch a couple of episodes a few times over to catch everything in the background. But um, I love that show. It's amazing. Uh, download it on your yeah. next plane and just watch watch a bunch of episodes. Jack, how about yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, so speaking of airplanes, um, I feel like um, <laughs> speaking of airplanes, <laughs> the last uh, the last couple of times uh, that Stevens had me on the podcast, I've um, rather self consciously recommended like super elevated stuff, like you know, like a piece of Hungarian metafiction written in the 1950s. Okay, I recommend a cartoon. So, um, <laughs> so I saw the Meg recently um, on an airplane, and I'm like, yes, and I'm, I'm like, I'm really kind of a sucker for like really really cheesy, uh, completely. Uh, factually implausible science fiction movies okay. if the special effects are good enough and they come frequently enough and everything looks cool enough and the Meg is it's the most ridiculous movie it, I mean, yeah. you know, the, I haven't just, seen it the, the entire, for anyone who doesn't know what it, it is it's a giant shark it's, it's a giant shark yeah, the, so <laughs> it's a big Meg shark is, it's a super big shark <laughs> so Meg is, Meg, is short for, Meg is short for Megalodon it was a, a which is short for super big shark which is short yeah. for yeah, it's a, so it's a shark that as far as we can tell went extinct about 60, 60 million years ago I want to say uh, but you know it was the size of a locomotive and it had a mouth big enough to swallow you know, a I couple love of the factual accuracy with which you're describing this and completely it, ridiculous. You know, thing. and the whole idea is like somehow a population of them has survived at the bottom of the Mariana Trench underneath a thermocline of hypersaline water. And it's like, it, that's the kind of thing oh, that, that sounds good when you say it, yeah. but it makes no sense. <laughs> I love um, it. You know, scientifically at all. But it's, it's, you know, an hour and a half of guys in mini subs shooting torpedoes at giant sharks. It's not it's the love. best. It's the best. It's the only great. Thing miss, the only thing missing is rockets, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, you know. I might actually have to go watch this now. You may have convinced me. <laughs> yeah. The Meg 2. Yeah. Flying right. Meg. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should option that right now. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna do the kind of cheesy thing here and recommend if you have not watched a commercial rocket launch, you should do that next time there's a launch, which Absolutely. we can figure yep. out and put a link to uh, in the notes. But it's so awesome. I try to watch them anytime I can. There's yeah. something, you know, we're used to kind of like the news cycle being all bad news most of the time these days. Um, there's something so uplifting about watching a rocket launch into space, oh. even if it's carrying. Uplifting. Yeah. We started oh, with a pun. Right. We we're ending with a pun. All right. It's, Perfect. it's uh, yeah. full circle all around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's something so kind of optimistic and great yeah. about it. Even if it's it's totally commercial, it's carrying things for businesses. Like, there's no sort of, like, exploration in quotes going on. It's nice that puns at the beginning and the end have been sort of the general thrust of this. Oh, Jack. Oh, oh, man. All right. No? No? This is the last time you guys are going to be hearing from me. I'm out. Um, <laughs> you, should, you should absolutely come to a launch, though. I think people don't realize that it's it's a very emotional experience. You you feel it. It's not just visual, but it's loud. Um, it it like, vibrates through your chest. It's, it's incredible. Is this a thing we can do? Um, we, can, we can talk after. I mean, we'll right. see what we right. can do. Yeah. Oh, Jack and I, we, Jack, we can't go to space, but we can go watch something go to space. That's a good place to yeah. start. That's I a, mean, that's a starting. You know, it's a... Um, 
launch pad. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> oh, it never stops. Our, it's our so producers, good. Our producers waving his hand across <laughs> yeah, his throat. He's, he's done with both of us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank this you. Was this awesome. was really it's fun. A, I appreciate you know, it. It's a chilly Friday afternoon in this New York. Great. And thank you for coming out to do this. Thanks we really so appreciate yeah, it. That was, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to Stephanie and Jack for joining us. This week's episode was recorded at Miratone Studios in New York City and was produced and edited by Grayson Corhonen. Please remember to subscribe and rate the show. It really does make a difference. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.